Steve Cunningham with Census Fidelity by US. Just wanted to continue our apologetic series. And since we're recording on the 9th of December 2019, I figured we'd do the Immaculate Conception since that was yesterday, the great feast of the Immaculate Conception. And go with what were the objections towards it and how do you respond to any that you get from this. So we'll start off with Romans 3.23 where scripture says, quote, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And also in 1 Corinthians 15, 22, for as in Adam all died, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. So the word all in these passages is the Greek pantes, P-A-N-T-E-S. Hopefully I'm pronouncing that right. My, you know, I'm not, uh, not pretending to be a Greek scholar. I'm giving it a shot, the old college try. As it occurs in the ancient authorities or pas, P-A-S in the Greek, as in the case of the King James Version. It literally means, quote, all, any, each, every, the whole, many. Now we know from scriptures that not all people died. For example, Enoch in Genesis 5.24 and Elijah in 2 Kings 2.11 did not die. Also, scripture tells us that the man Jesus Christ was without sin. Hence, he was an exception for the all have sinned argument. The word all has been demonstrated not to mean all in the above passages, rather than means many. Just as the man, Jesus Christ, is an exception from original sin, uh, look at Hebrews uh, 4.15, for example, so is Mary. One well-known verse that shows this is Luke 1.28. Now, in the uh, paper encyclical uh, that in 1854, Pope Pius IX issued on the Immaculate Conception, he proclaimed that, quote, the most blessed Virgin Mary was, from the first moment of her conception, by a singular grace and privilege of Almighty God, and by virtue of the merits of Jesus Christ, Savior of the human race, preserved immune from all stain of original sin. Now, immaculate is derived from the Latin word macula, which means, quote, stain, mark, spot, blemish, fault, flaw. And to support this dogma, attention is drawn to the Annunciation in Luke 1.28, as we mentioned before in which the angel Gabriel meets Mary with the words, Hail, Mary, full of grace. And then the angel being come in said unto her, Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. We should note that angels speak on behalf of God. Here it is God revealing through sacred scripture that Our Lady is full of grace because of her extraordinary role to God, the Son, and Holy Spirit. The original word for full of grace in this passage is kikari tumeni. It is a perfect passive participle and means endowed with grace. Basically, uh, one who has already been graced. The Greek tense indicates that the grace started somewhere in the past before the announcement of the angel of God and it continues in the present. 
Now, since Christ is the new Adam, as St. Paul talks about, you have to have the new Eve. So Our Lady is looked at as the new Eve, and it's going backwards. Adam was created first. Eve was created after Adam, obviously from the river side. And then Our Lady, who gives birth to Christ. So it's kind of, you know, man, woman, woman, man type deal. And as they say, what if Adam was created without original sin, which he was, and Eve was created after original sin, which he was, and Adam came from the... Uh, the uh, dirt, the ground, which I remember hearing a Catholic pro, uh, professional apologist say these dirt was symbolic, which I don't understand how he can live with himself for saying that. I don't know how he gets to this, how he got that point. But what was the condition of the soil that created Adam? It was spotless. There was no sin on it. It wasn't cursed. The fall occurred after the creation of Adam and Eve, obviously. So before the creation, before the fall, the earth, the, the ground was even immaculate. Then you go with St. Augustine. There's two ways to save somebody, before or after. So for everybody else, it happened after uh, a salvation part of it, or I guess you would say, or uh, cleansing, which would be like uh, during the visitation when uh, St. John was, it is taught by the church that he was, uh, born without sin. He wasn't conceived without sin. He was born without because as you read, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit during the during the first Eucharistic uh, procession. There's also a tradition that says that Saint Joseph was born without uh, sin. So he was conceived but they were born without it. There's also a couple other examples uh, you can go with on this. But so Our Lady was saved before conception so instead of falling in the pit so that's where we're going with the saint augustine thing you could fall in a pit and be saved afterwards by throwing a rope in and pulling somebody out hey you saved me thank you or you can be saved from even falling into the pit which is what happened to our lady and he asked which is the better which is the greater and so he could be like uh, she it would be like somebody saying no you didn't save me before falling in pit. So like you grab somebody before they fall in and say oh no you didn't save me you gotta let me fall in first then you can pull me out then you saved me no, you can save somebody from going in, just like you save somebody from going to a wrong turn before where I tell him, say, hey, don't turn down this road, you know, blah, 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 bing, bing, bing. Or, uh, you know, save him from any kind of danger that you know already happened. So our Lord saved him with a single privilege that she's the only one to be saved before falling into that pit. And more on the all exemptions is kids, babies. Do you hear my baby crying in the background? I'm sorry. So babies and kids before the age of reason, they can't sin because they have no reason. They can't, they can't justify that. So they, they have original sin, which gets cleansed in baptism, but they have not, they cannot sin until reason. Hence why confession, the first confession, is until X amount of day, uh, years. Uh, retarded people with retardation, mentally retarded, etc. They're all exemptions from this quote all part. And you could always say something, you know, it's always a smart, like a kind of way to say it. And you tell the Protestant, hey, thank you for telling us that Christ sinned. Because if all men have sinned, he was also man. Then you're the first person to say that Jesus Christ, the second person of Holy Trinity, was sinful and sinned. Which, though, wouldn't be too far-fetched for Protestants because Luther actually taught that too. So, uh, so if they were actually consistent with their following of Luther, they probably would agree, but... But I doubt they know what Luther taught or said or anything. Actually, they pretty much book it, take it to the bank. They have no clue. So I also wanted to read a little bit from the book of Mariology by Father Juniper Carroll that Mediatrix Press republished. It's a fantastic book. This is coming from volume two. This is where all the 
Berean doctrines are. It goes into adversaries of the doctrine. Quote, only non-Catholics stand opposed to the Immaculate Conception of the Virgin Mary. Among them must be numbered the schismatic Greek, quote, Orthodox Church, the, quote, Old Catholics, founded by Dullinger, late in the 19th century, Protestants of all sects, rationalists, and diverse other groups, groupings. All these object to the doctrine itself, maintaining that it is no part of the Christian religion, and so reject the definitions contrary to revealed truth. As grounds for refusal to accept the Immaculate Conception, spokesmen for the objectors alleged the same difficulties offered by adversaries prior to the solemn definition in 1854. This very position is expressed succinctly in the question of the Protestant theologian Harnack, quote, if this truth is a revealed one, when was it revealed and to whom? Tenor of the Bulu. In his solemn pontifical document, Pope Pius IX defined the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception to be the other faith for Catholics in virtue of his supreme power as vicar of Christ. But at the same time, he acknowledged that the definition reflected the universal mind of the church's hierarchy and of the Catholic faithful, for their opinion had been asked for and found favorable. The sovereign pontiff, by way of preamble to the definition proper, stated that God from all eternity chose a mother for his son, and because he loved her more than he loved any other creature, he therefore endowed her with the gift of freedom from all stain of sin, a gift most becoming to the Blessed Virgin Mary. The Pope reminded the Catholic world of the enduring attention which the Church down through the centuries had devoted to the development of this doctrine, even to the extent of having instituted a feast of the conception, and in other ways encouraging the piety of the faithful toward a cult of the unique privilege of Mary. The doctrine was favored by popes prior to Pius IX, and Alexander VII explicitly declared that the Immaculate Conception might safely be defended as Catholic truth. A similar opinion was cons consistently held by various religious communities and eminent theologians, as well as many synods throughout the world. The Pope further mentioned in the bull that the, the cognizance of the favorable, favorable testimony of the most ancient sources in the Oriental Church contributed in no small measure to the advance and the way towards definition. Pius and I singled out the force of the argument derived from the writings of the fathers of the church, who so greatly exalted the sanctity and dignity of the mother of God, referring to her immunity from sin and applying to her sections of scripture, especially the references to, quote, the woman in Genesis 3.15, and the citation of the angel of Mary narrated in the Gospel of St. Luke 1.28. The traditional writings of the most renowned fathers describe Mary's plenitude of grace as the kind of climax of all God's miracles in the order of grace. This conviction of Mary's high holiness and immunity from the stain of sin was shared by the generations of simple faithful as, where, as well as by the Catholic clergy of all ages, all of whom found pious consolation in venerating the Immaculate Mother of God. Countless petitions were addressed to the Holy See requesting a formal definition of the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception. In concluding his bowl, Pius IX spoke of his own efforts with regard to the doctrine, pointing out that once elevated to the chair of Peter, he longed most ardently to promote the honor of Mary in every way possible and to enhance her cult by making her singular prerogatives more widely known. To the achievement of this end, the pontiff added that he had instituted a special commission of cardinals to examine the questions connected with the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception and had dispatched letters to the bishops of the world in this connection on February 1849. In reply to these papal inquiries, the bishops confirmed the universal piety of the people towards this privilege of the Blessed Virgin, annexing their own petitions that the Immaculate Conception 
be defined by the Roman Pontiff. The special commission of cardinals have returned a like decision. Continuing with Father Carroll on the principal scripture proofs in the Old Testament, the abiding enmity between the serpent, the devil, and the woman Mary as developed in the exegesis of the text of Genesis 3.15, quote, I will put enmities between thee and the woman, and thy seed and her seed. She will crush thy head, and thou shalt lie and wait for her heel. It's commonly offered in support of the Immaculate Conception. Whatever differences may exist among scripture scholars as to the correct interpretation of this important passage, there can be no serious doubt that, but that the Blessed Virgin is the woman mentioned. Nor can any construction placed in the famous Ipsa pronoun used in the Vulgate, derogate from a force of this text, since the essential notion of Mary's utter freedom from any diabolical dominion is sufficiently indicated in the phrase, I will put enmities. The Blessed Virgin is the woman whose radical opposition to all that Satan stands for demands a perfect immunity from sin, specific, specifically from original sin, and the reference to her is in a literal sense. The enmity described requires that Mary be finally to complete victor of the devil and his snares, and this she would not have been if for one instant she had been subject to Satan through the slavery of sin. The crushing of the serpent's head can mean nothing else than a perfect immunity from his evil stain. The new Eve, the mother of the Messiah, and Lucifer, the author of sin, are in every way en enemies, with the conquest divin and divinely assured to be Mary's. At no time were these hostile forces as allies. At no time was the Virgin Mary a vanquished satellite of God's proud rival. Sanctifying grace alone establishes man in God's friendship and, by the same token, constitutes him Satan's bitter foe. The absence of that grace from the soul affected by sin ranges one in the ranks of the Prince of Darkness by removing one from the share in the divine nature and the essential function of God's grace. Had there been an instant, however brief, when Mary's soul was stripped of grace, then scripture could not properly refer to Mary as the one who vanquished the very personification of evil. Whether Eve be considered as a type of the Blessed Virgin, or whether the woman described as Mary in a more literal sense, there is had there is had a clear antithesis between good and evil, as between the state of God's mother and Eve after the fall, as between Christ's new Adam and the old Adam, enmeshed in sin. The conjoint victory of the Redeemer and his mother over the devil is the divine reply to the common defeat of the first parents through the wiles of the serpent and their own malice. It is a perfect parallelism and one that has traditionally been invoked to prove the Immaculate Conception. Mary's triumph was in vir virtue of her sons. The most solid support of Mary's unique prerogative is, this, is thus based on one and the same divine decree, establishing her predestination to a singular grace together with the absolute and universal primacy of her son. Neither Christ, the seed of the woman, nor the woman herself could for even a moment be overcome by evil, for then the victory would not be entire. The provative for force of this argument in support of the Immaculate Deception is, when thus understood, considered as strongly suasive in the conclusions presented by the Pontifical Commission for the definition of the dogma of the Immaculate Deception constituted by Pius IX and reporting its findings on July 10th, 1852. Now, Father Carroll, you know, for the New Testament, goes with, obviously, Luke 1.28. In the New Testament, when the angelic messenger Gabriel greeted the virgin, who was divinely destined to be the mother of the Savior, he spoke words manifested of a tremendous miracle and mystery and the order of grace. Quote, And the angel, being come in, said unto her, Hail, full of grace, 
the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women. While of itself this salutation considered in text and context is not a complete and explicit proof from scripture of the immunity of Mary from original sin, yet it is undeniably an implicit or equivalent statement of the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception. Full of grace can mean nothing other than, quote, entirely replenished with God's love, or, quote, in no wise deficient. And the phrase, quote, the Lord is with thee, must similar, similarly mean that Mary was never without him, as he indeed would have been had she had been conceived in sin. A paraphrase of the first four words of the angelic salutation might well be, quote, greetings to you who are so adorned with divine gifts and supernatural, supernal goods, so replete with God's love and friendship that its very fullness is contained in you. In other words, such an immense immensity of grace was infused into the soul of the mother of God that no other human can be compared to her by reason of this holiness, and this unique privilege has always been hers. It is also noteworthy that Gabriel is not described as exclaiming, quote, Hail Mary, full of grace, but simply as saying, Hail, full of grace. Thus the full of grace is used in a substantive manner as a title peculiarly her own, her God-given names, somewhat the same as she spoke of herself to Bernadette at Lourdes, quote, I am the Immaculate Conception. As proper to her alone, this full of grace is not some extrinsic designation, rather is her property in a radical and intrinsic sense at all moments of her existence. There was no period of time, however so brief, in which she was not full of grace. To this initial greeting, the archangel added, the Lord is with thee. Correlated with what had immediately preceded, these words indicate unqualified and simple union of Mary, the beloved one of God with the Lord. No reference is contained either in the text itself or in the context to any temporal limitation. Rather, the sense is entirely a general one. Whenever Mary was, then God was with her and she with him in his grace. Had she, on the contrary, been even for the most infinitesimal point period of time under the dominion of the sin, there would have been some interruption of this communion with God. And accordingly, the archangel's universal declaration of her grace would have been itself faulty. Either the words contain an affirmation of the Immaculate Conception, or else they are meaningless. The final phrase of the citation regarding the sanctity of the mother of the Messiah, blessed are thou among women, means that she is not only blessed in herself, but blessed in compar comparison with all other women. This bears the connotation of the superlative degree of blessedness, so that she is the blessed one of all women as a consequence of the divine maternity and its grace. This utterly unique office carries with it a correspondingly unique infusion of grace, a blessing that is essential link in a chain of causality that will reach its culmination at the redemption, blotting out the curse visited upon mankind by the sin of the first parents. This scriptural reference manifests how fitting it is that, when, that she whose own gracious life was the divine divinely chosen instrument for the Incarnation, should herself be totally free from the very fault her son came to remove. As it will be seen elsewhere in this article, this divine maternity is always the point of reference in treating the reasonableness of the Immaculate Conception. The basic antithesis between the blessing of God and his curse with reference to the immunity of original sin appears frequently in scripture. 
It is a familiar note. This curse of fundamental alienation from God's friendship is the consequence of the primal sin and as such of its chief penalty. As the one sin of Adam is the unique and ultimate cause of the blight visited upon all men descended from Adam by carnal generation, and it is and is on that account called by the sin. Similarly, its concomitant punishment is called the curse. Conversely, Mary, who is called blessed, must be herself immune from that sin which caused that curse. She cannot be both so completely blessed and yet be at that at any moment subject to the very opposite of the blessing, God's curse. Additional support for this antithetical parallelism is found in the words of God addressed to the serpent. Quote, because thou hast done this thing, thou art cursed. As this malediction falling upon the devil was the outcome of the simple deceit, so the blessing bestowed upon Mary was a reward of an immunity from all sin. As the author of sin was cursed, contrarywise, she who cooperated so intimately in the divine plan of salvation is crowned with divine blessing. The same inference is readily deduced from the greeting of Elizabeth to Mary at the visitation. Quote, blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. The virgin is called blessed in somewhat the same way as her son, observing, of course, a due analogy a proportion between the relative plenitude of grace in each case. The implication is therefore clear that Mary was always entirely free from the bountiful curse identified with original sin. And Father Carroll goes on more with the, even the uh, other texts from the Old and New Testament, tradition, the fathers, ex, the councils, etc. So if you want, grab that book from Mediatrics Press. I know they're having a discount for uh, during Christmas time, but... Uh, uh, check it out. It's a three-volume series, and it's fantastic on everything you want to know about Our Lady. Here's a little excerpt from Dom Guerin-Jay's liturgical year for the for December 8th. Quote, The Eternal Father would not do less for the second eve than he had done for the first, yet she was created, as was also the first Adam, in the state of original justice, which she afterwards forfeited by sin. The Son of God would not permit that the woman from whom he was to take the nature of man, should be deprived of that gift which he had given even to her who was the mother of sin. The Holy Ghost, who was to overshadow Mary and produce Jesus within her by his divine operation, would not permit that foul stain in which we are all conceived to rest even for an instant on this his spouse. All men were to contract the sin of Adam. The sentence was universal. But God's own mother was not included. God, who is the author of that law, God, who was free to make it as he willed, had power to exclude her, exclude from it her whom he had predestined to be his own in so many ways. He could exempt her, and it was just that he should exempt her. Therefore, he did. It goes with that sermon uh, titled Potuit Decuit Ergo Fashion. If you really want to read some good stuff, uh, look up Glorious and Mary, St. Alphonsus, his, treat, his discourse on uh, the Immaculate Deception is just fantastic. Well, that's about all I have for today for you. I hope that was at least edifying for you. Maybe you could uh, use some of that to your Protestant brethren. I had quite a few people uh, on the YouTube and Twitter feeds get on, us for, get on me for posting so many uh, Mary links yesterday. Uh, as always... Uh, they come out in folds on those days. Just say, Hail Mary's for them, and 
I guess we can just move on. I'm, it's hard to, hard to convert, convert anybody on social media. But anyways, uh, yeah, check out, like I said, Mariology is the name of the book. And, of course, Glories of Mary by St. Alphonsus. Two books uh, you should have definitely on Our Lady. Father Stefano Minelli has another one on Our Lady, which is just, it's almost like uh, Glories of Mary Part 2. Yeah, I mean, that'd be a great one to get. There's all kinds of books on Our Lady. Louis de Montfort has a couple, obviously. True Devotion and Secret Erosia, which are definitely must-haves. And Holy Slavery to the Blessed Virgin Mary, which can, which basically created Louis de Montfort. That's a great old book. I uh, highly recommend that one as well. But anyways, hope everyone had a great feast day and a blessed advent to all of you. Uh, please check out uh, www.sensefidelium.us. And of course, please continue to support us. Thank you for all you that have. And, and oh yes, uh, people ask about merchandise. Go to the website, there's a merchandise tab, Zazzle and uh, Teespring are both able to do that for you. I've put up license plates, golf balls, pens, flags, posters, t-shirts, sweatshirts, baby clothes. Uh, I mean, that's clothing from a babies to adults. Teespring has most of those. And Zazzle's more of a pen, tie, uh, coasters bottle openers, keychains, license plate, like I said, uh, just things like that. I mean, it's, it's a market, you know, I was in sales for a while. You, you know, what do salespeople do? They have marketing things. So there's pens. Uh, people wanted this, I threw that out. Someone told me, hey, why don't you do this? Yeah, we did this. Uh, try, we'll try to get some more stuff up there. If you have any recommendations, it takes me literally a second to put it all together. I don't set the prices. They do. Um, I get like a fraction and we're talking a small fraction of this so it's it's more of a just a uh, appease the fans and uh yeah just promote the channel more i mean <laughs> the only way i'm gonna get rich off the merchandise is if someone buys i don't know 50 million uh, t-shirts or something like that maybe that will that'll do it maybe not 50 million but it's gonna be in the thousands uh but no one's no we're not even close to that well i think we broke double digits <laughs> but anyways check it out uh I'm sure there's all kinds of sales every so often that they put up, so I don't have anything to do with any of this, but there's coffee mugs, like I said, beer mugs, etc. Check it out. See if you like any of it. I try to make something good for everyone, and like I said, send me information if you want the, want something that you that you don't see. But uh, yeah, thank you for all the support. God bless us, and the Virgin protect us.